Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, before we get stuck into this week's episode, I wanted to apologize for the delay in releasing it. Now, I'm usually pretty strict with my every Monday episode rule, but this episode was a little bit special. It's a group episode featuring people who were involved in the action sports events at the recent Olympics. And there was one guest who I really wanted to get hold of for the episode who wasn't available in the time frame it would take to get it out on Monday. So I was faced with the decision of release it religiously on Monday as I normally would or wait a couple of extra days to talk to this person that I really wanted to involve in the episode and I went for the latter. And then on top of that, some general life shit happened that meant the podcast had to be put to one side for a couple of weeks. Longer than I intended to, but here we are. If you're interested, I'll elaborate more on all of this in the outro, but for now, let's talk about this week's episode. So while watching this year's Olympics at home, I got it into my head that it would be a great idea to have a group episode talking to some of the people directly involved in the broadcasting around the action sports that featured in this year's Olympics for the first time. Understandably, some of these people were a little bit hard to get hold of because their schedules were a little bit busy. But I persevered and had some really interesting conversations with some wonderful people. The first of which was broadcaster and previous mixtapes guest, Mr. Ed Lee. How you doing? You good? I'm good, man. I'm, um, I'm... Understandably, it's taken me a, a, a little while to, to nail you down um, because you've been a bit busy. I've literally, I've been, I think I'm on, I'm losing track already. I don't know if it's day three or four, but I've slept just for like, you have day zero, then one, two, three, however many. I've been doing at least 10 hours a day. So, I mean, just to put this into context for, for anyone listening, um, you live in New Zealand. Yep. And you travelled to the UK to do the commentary on the action sports for the Olympics on behalf of the BBC. Yeah. They gave us a choice. We could go me, Tim, and the climbing expert, Mike Langley, to Tokyo, have zero access to the athletes and be locked up essentially in isolation in Tokyo. Or we could go to the UK, do almost the same thing, have a bit more freedom but increase the number of experts we could have. So have a skate expert, have a BMX expert, have a surf expert alongside the climbing expert because it was going to be me and Tim covering surf, BMX and skate, which we could have done. I think BMX would have, Tim smashes BMX, skate we would have got through, surf might have been a bit weak. But yeah, we decided to, that Tim would go to Tokyo I'd go to Manchester. So I was doing Tokyo time commentary from the UK. It was horrific. So so were you, did you just adopt the sort of Tokyo timeline of, of going to bed at certain times or were you, you uh, up to some sort of crazy split shift? Well, that was the thing. Like, this, it's really hard to do it. So the first week, I kind of lined it up and was like, okay, I've got this. I'll just, I'll push through the first night because we were working roughly half 11 till 5 or 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'll just have the biggest 
nap I can in the afternoon and then I won't I've tried it before you don't go to sleep you don't go to sleep normally you wouldn't try and go at like nine or ten for a couple of hours because then it's like you're waking up drunk your yeah. brain just doesn't work so I thought okay I'll just punch through the first one so the first two were excruciating your body's just like, what are we doing this is all wrong and you can't get your sleep right but I started to get into a pattern but then on the third or fourth it was the fourth night I had surfing and they were, I don't know why they were panicking about the conditions and they wanted to get it all done in one day so me and Ben Mundy who was on the surf with me started at 11 30 p.m so 7 30 a.m in Tokyo mm-hmm. and this guy just ran it so we we were four hours in no breaks just back-to-back quarterfinals, and I thought, he's going to give us a break. The event director's going to call this between quarters and semis, give us 15 minutes to reset. I told Ben, I said, get ready, you can go for a piss. And he legged it out as soon as quarters was done. And then I was sat there thinking, I'll go till I'm ju- I'll just check, I'll just check. Took us straight back up to the top of the beach, semi-final number one. I was like, no way, okay. He's definitely going to reset between semis and finals. So I'm six hours in the booth, and he's just like, no, we're going straight into finals. And wow. that's the longest I've ever, that was 10 hours from start to finish in the booth. And I was like, I was such a mess. Like, you don't know what you're saying after a while. The words don't mean anything. Oh, mate. Well, <laughs> I mean, now, I I know you sort of, sort of uh, anecdotally through the snowboard world, but I know that skateboarding's always been a massive part of your life. I know that you've done commentary on um, sort of high-profile snow events for years, but did this feel a bit different? Yeah. And do, you know what? I've actually chosen my tracks around this exact thing because for me, like I've n- I don't have an authenticity deficit disorder. I don't have imposter sy- syndrome with a lot of stuff, but I've feel really rightly because I know how preciously I held on to snowboarding being represented properly on an Olympic stage and I've lived skateboarding since I was eight years old I'm such a mediocre skateboarder but I am deeply passionate about it as well and I've spent a lot of time commentating on it but still it was really important to me that skateboarders felt like they weren't getting shortchanged by the coverage and I, I got some really, really. I I pinpointed a couple of people in the UK scene who I thought I, if I can make them happy, that would be the greatest barometer of success. If I can make them them happy, then I know everyone else will be. Oh, okay. So I mean, are we allowed to know who your two people are? Oh, hundred percent. I uh, I said it to him. There was um, first and foremost was Sean Goff uh, out of yeah. Oxford, one of the founders of SS Twenty. And Sean's a really good MC in his own right. So he's one of those people who could have had laid claim to being able to do it. And I knew that having, as a commentator, you know how it feels when someone else gets the gig and he he gave us some props afterwards. He said, that was a great job, Mark, Ed. And I, that warmed the cockles of my heart. And then the other one is not a person, it's a, an organisation. It was everyone attached to Sidewalk Escape Mag. And most of them, I didn't hear from everyone, but most of them were pretty stoked, I think. So, I, I was super pleased with the commentary. 
Um, obviously, because you know, me and Tim go back years, so I was really excited for him. Um, so any any chance to see him cover sport on the BBC is quite um, satisfying because he's just brimming with enthusiasm, and it re- and the, the emotion really spills over. And I'm talking to him later for this episode. Um, uh, but I, I I thought you guys absolutely nailed it. But there was a moment when we thought that you guys were copping some flack from Australian viewers. Somebody somebody posted a story and tagged you, Tim, and Churchill. Um, saying that you should be ashamed of yourselves, and and me and Tim were like looking at this, going, "What? What is going on? Like we just couldn't work out what their problem would be." Um, and then it turned out that the channel in Australia that was showcasing the the men's street final was ta- were tapping into a different feed with different British commentators. Well, what happens is the Olympic Broadcasting Service (OBS) just hire commentators so that they can provide French and Spanish, and I think they do a Chinese language, or maybe um, Chinese networks do that, but they supply a couple of languages of commentary. For all the smaller nations who can't afford to send their own teams, you get given this commentary. And in, in this case, skateboarding was done by none other than Graham Bell and Louis Lett. So two ski commentators trying to commentate on... The, their, their debut was street skateboarding. And you can imagine how that went. I listened to some of it. And I, I've worked with Graham for a long time, but he cannot commentate on skate. It was, it was yeah, I mean, excruciating. And I, and I don't imagine that's something that he would have chosen, you know, if it was given the option, you know, but, but I think that's maybe a case of it, you're, you're talking chose, about that. Oh, my God. Okay, right. Uh, never he mind. Chose, he, he told me he was going to do it. And I said, don't. It was, yeah, it's, I mean, I've got to be really careful there, but the, the OBS is star, and this is the thing, and this is what really hurts me, is that if you look at the English-speaking world, probably only the UK had a positive Olympic skateboarding experience. For Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, yeah, I think it was pretty horrific. Wow. But I mean, it's really know, disappointing. So, that, such a missed opportunity because here in the UK, you did a really good job of holding the viewer's hand and sort of walking them through understanding what they were seeing because it's a very complicated sport, for lack of a, a better term. It's you know, still, still up for debate for a lot of people. Well, there's, there's a couple of curmudgeons out there who always they just don't get it and they don't want it. But my Twitter feed, like, my tw- the, you've got all the different demographics on all the different platforms, but my Twitter feed is a much older audience. It's a really Ski Sunday kind of Middle England-based audience. Mm-hmm. And that was just full of people who didn't get skateboarding. And Mark and I made a really clear choice. I said, I don't want you dumbing this down. I don't want you explaining. Like, we'll do a little bit of it here and there if we get really into it or we've got a dead run. But when it's moving, we don't stop. Like, just call the tricks. Do it for people who know it. And if people are into it, then they'll get it. And the the hope being that our energy and enthusiasm carries over what what you don't understand with the tricks. And I think it worked. I think we've come a long way from the kind of 90s dumbing down. And 
that from this on the strength of my twitter feed the people who were open to it really really enjoyed it they were like i haven't got a clue what you're talking about but i love it yeah i had a wonderful moment when uh for the for the park women's final where i i did the typical sort of sports fan thing where i ignored all news channels i ignored all social media so like i because i it was too late to to watch it live so like i sat down to experience the replay first thing in the morning as if it was live because I wanted to feel it and live it. And my wife came downstairs just in time for Sky's run. Oh, you're just in time for Sky's run. She, she went, oh, yeah, she got bronze, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and I just turned to her slowly. I didn't know that. On purpose. <laughs> As she was mortified. Oh, he oh, felt like bless. a dick for the entire day. Yeah, the the biggest moment. Can is she going to pull this back or is she going to? The women's park was out of this world. Like the level of tricks that you're seeing in the in the medal positions in women's park would have stood up in the men's. It was like that was yeah. legit, proper, it, proper legit. It was so. It was such a wicked introduction to the sport for so many people who wouldn't have sort of seen it before. Such an exciting introduction. And and we know that participation in snowboarding went up when Jenny won her bronze medal, but skateboarding and BMX is so much more accessible because there's so many free places to do it. You know, the, the barrier for entry is a lot lower in terms of getting hold of your, your first bit of kit. I mean, my first skateboard was built from hand-me-down stuff and... You know, I literally, I literally just made a, a kid mow my lawn in return for an old skate deck to replace the sort of catalog board that he was riding around on. And there's such a sense of community built around the sports that I think it's going to be a massive shot in the arm for action sports in general for the UK. I, I really hope so. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. The key things for me, there's no uniform, there's no set practice times. No geographical barriers to doing it. There's no financial barriers to doing it. No age or gender or ethnic barriers to it. It's like anyone can do it, and you can do it any way you want to do it. You can. And Churchill tried to get this across when he went on all the when he was pundit for Jason Mohammed and all the afternoon and evening shows. But like, if you want to try and go to the Olympics, you can do that. But there's people like in Newcastle or like Southampton or Telford just sessioning curbs who have no idea that the Olympics is going on just using it as a creative release it's that's the joy of it isn't it we we can all skateboarding's one of those great things and BMX as well just pick it up and do it any way you want and no one can tell you that you're doing it wrong exactly and I think one of the things that would probably be unusual for any other sort of contemporary sports viewer is how mutually supportive all the athletes are because in every other sport it's a very combative sort of you're measuring yourself against the other guy or the other team and in skateboarding for the most part you're really sort of trying to push your own progression and and whenever someone makes a step forward everyone's happy for them and I, I can imagine how unusual that might look it's, well, it's that etiquette, isn't it? But yeah, I think that's what resonated with a lot of people was just the camaraderie on the platforms in street and park and the BMX. People are genuinely stoked. 
I did think there was, I thought there was a bit more cut and thrust in the BMX, even in the BMX park. I mean, the men's, everyone knew which way it was going anyway. Everyone knew that Logan had walked away with the gold medal already, but definitely in skate, there's that. It's almost like an, an etiquette that comes from the way you learn to skate. You, you kind of, you have to fail to get good and usually failing involves at least a modicum of pain, if not quite a lot. So everyone understands that level of commitment and courage that it takes to get those tricks. So whether you win or lose, it's the fact that you manage to do that in that moment that counts. And that's what everyone on that platform understands. So there's a, there was a really good quote came out just before the Olympics. And I can't remember who I got it from, but the, the wonderful thing about action sports is that you can't cheat. <laughs> Impossible to cheat. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's not, there's not, a, there aren't any shortcuts to achieving the things that the, the elite do. It's a, it's a, it's a hard road. That's for sure. There's a really good Seinfeld quote from comedians in cars getting coffee where he's sat in a in a sort of diner with Chris Rock. And you wouldn't expect it from someone like Seinfeld, you know, the 60-year-old Jewish comedian out from um, New York. And he's like, you know, you know who I really respect? Those skateboard kids, you know, because you know, you know how many times you've got to get it wrong before you get it right. And like whenever I see those skateboard kids, I think they'll be okay. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's such it's a good one. So, what two tracks are you throwing into the mix for this collaborative mixtape? Um, I'm going to kick off with the first one is uh, Bombay Bicycle Club. Is it real? And this is kind of, I love the fact, for me it's sort of, I love a bit of, it's kind of guilty pleasures of pop, but with a little bit of thinking man's lyrics. But... To me, it's, it's a little bit about that sort of saccharine, like the Olympics is the Disneyland of sport. And this is like, that's, this is kind of, you, you gloss over a lot of stuff at the Olympics. And it was funny watching action sports athletes get given that treatment in uniforms and kind of standing around, but then breaking out of it at the same time, kind of subtly. And if you watched social media feeds, you could see that they were the round pegs in square holes but really enjoying themselves and having a really interesting effect on the other athletes in the village on the venue managers and the staff and obviously us and the audiences at home who are watching amazing so this is this is bombay bicycle club with is it real So following on from Bombay Bicycle Club, your other track feels a little bit more confrontational. Picture this, I'm a bag of dicks, put me to your lips, I am sick. I will punch a baby bear in his shit. Give me lip, I'm gonna send you to the yard, get a stick, It is, it is, and I think this, I really, I wanted to put something in because the argument has run so deep about the Olympics, whether BMX, skateboarding and surfing belong there. Um, and I feel, as a middle-aged man, like I read a lot on social feeds 
about you, you you pick it up on all of your feeds they were full in a couple of weeks before the games about this argument this ongoing argument do they belong there is it good for them the olympics need us more than we need them this dialogue was building and building and building and for me it's these sports belong to kids they sh they belong to the young and the idea that they don't belong at the olympics is something that it's a belief almost exclusively held by people our age sort of i don't know are you 40 yet Mike? i turn 40 next march there you go close enough kind of 40 and over the people who are clinging to this nostalgic idea of anti-establishment kind of counterculture like these sports have been mainstream for a while and this is just the last kind of brick in the wall and the kids who are doing it want it it's not for us to say so i kind of felt like the the conclusion to it is definitely hold your beliefs hold on to that freedom if it means if it is this kind of punk ethos to you then hold on to that it's yours but you don't need to project that onto anyone else it can, skateboarding bmx and surfing have proved time and again that they can be so much to so many different people so you take from it what you need and what you want but don't try and tell other people what it is to them amazing so this is this is Run the Jewels and DJ Shadow with Nobody Speak. I just want the bread and bologna bundles to tuck away. I don't work for free, I am barely giving a fuck away. So tell Big and Johnny and Mommy to get the fuck away. Hey, yo, here's a gun, son, now run, get it to gut away. Live to shoot another day. Ed, I, I can't imagine how you must be feeling in terms of what way is up what time zone you're in you must be itching to see your family so i really really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me uh, absolute pleasure I, but i've got two weeks in isolation before i'm in a military run hotel in new zealand before i can go and see my family so this is a welcome use of my time mike thank you very much for having me so we're now going to talk to the man responsible for curating the music that played during all of the skateboard heats at this year's games. He was literally tasked with creating atmosphere in empty stadiums. He's a previous guest of Mixtapes with Mike, a man with a big heart and a bigger record collection, Mr. Ramon Verbeet. Oh, you've, sh you've shaved. Yes. <laughs> How very dare you? Yeah, well... It feels like I needed a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how long you been home now? Uh, a week. A week. And yeah, have you like yeah. have you got over the jet lag and stuff? Uh, barely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the jet lag was um, yeah was one thing, but the more just the general uh, exhaustion. Mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the whole, when, when did we have a chat? At the end of three weeks or halfway or I don't know, I, I don't even about, about remember. About halfway through, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I jumped into the BMX thing, uh, which was um, unplanned, but very nice. I could jump in there, uh, but that resulted in basically that I... Um, yeah, uh, 
I worked every day and had to be there at the seven most of the time, sometimes even earlier at the venue. And then we leave at like five, half past five, uh, grab something to eat and, uh, and prepare for the next day. And you end up going to bed at like 12 or one and sleep for four hours. That's, that was the routine. So, oh, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah. Basically, product launch times six. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what Ramon is referring to there yeah. Yeah. is the fact that uh, we we met because Ramon used to work for, for Vans, where I work, and uh, product launch of, or, is a very intense week of strategic planning and chaotic drinking. And... Uh, you, you are no definitely... drinking involved in this time. So oh no, no, was... no, not nah, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, certainly back then we were burning the candle at both ends. <laughs> oh my, yeah. We should probably we should probably backtrack a little bit because we did an episode with you um, months ago. Okay, so you mentioned back then that you had been sort of selected to go out to the Tokyo Olympic Games to play music for all the, well, for the skateboarding heats at the, at yeah. the very least. Um, and then, of course, all of that was put on hold. So you had this amazing opportunity that had been kind of been pulled away, but then it all kind of came to fruition this year. So yeah. you were out there for what, three weeks? I was out there for almost three weeks, like 19 days. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and a, and a very intense schedule of playing songs, preparing for the following day, not getting quite enough sleep. Mm. Yeah, and, and and only seeing like the venue, which was quite big, and uh, we could yeah walk around kind of freely, or the hotel room, which was tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I I spoke to Tim Warwood, the, you know, the, the guy with his, his feet on the ground, as it were, and and he said much the same thing. But, you, you know, you, you're not there for sightseeing. So, no. as 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 a much of a shame as it is, um, it's still a, a pretty crazy experience to go through. Now, what I'm curious about, so you're playing songs to kind of... Uh, amp up the atmosphere for people's runs uh, during the the street comp and the, the skate park comp. And, but I know that usually you're the kind of person who kind of feeds off the crowd a little bit. And you, the crowd is a bit of a barometer for you to, to help you decide what direction you go in next. But you didn't have crowds because, and it was very peculiar to see these amazing stadiums, but with no audience. Yeah. Yeah, it, it had room for 12,000 people. <laughs> and they had it, 20. Well, I, uh, which I don't know what you could see, obviously, on the webcast, but um, from my point of view, I could see, yeah, um, uh, maybe 100, maybe okay. 200, yeah, in total. So, um, I mean, the... Obviously, the, the, the other skaters uh, and uh, all the 
Federation, people from all the countries were allowed to watch. And then there were, um, I would say, like people from every national team, the, the, the higher up people uh, would have a look like, what, what is my country doing in skateboarding and what is skateboarding? Is. And then there's a whole bench, which I couldn't see, but I was on that same uh, uh, yeah, side uh, of um, journalists. Right. So just media, yeah, media, which was quite a big. Uh, so there were definitely people, and uh, the reactions of the journalists were definitely interesting. I mean, you couldn't hear them, but afterwards or in the middle or during, yeah, the second day of competition, there were like a lot of people coming at me like, "Wow, this is what? Uh, yeah, what is this? Yeah, uh, they were uh, blown blown away like from." They had not expected this cocktail of energy and alternative music and just the, the, the happiness and the, yeah, the sharing of the fun in the skateboarding in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Cool thing. It's, it's, it's a really cool thing. And you, you got feedback to that effect on, on social media as well, where they were like, I can't believe I'm hearing this music whilst watching action yeah. sports at the Olympics. So I think people, I think there was a lot of gratitude that the, the kind of subculture element of the music that was getting paired with the activity had been preserved. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I've, I've, um, uh, I've been lucky to meet a lot of people abroad, abroad uh, in, 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 in the past uh, 20 years uh, due to uh, working at the same company you work uh, at and uh, other things. But there were a lot of reactions on social media from people I knew, but uh, maybe even 10 times more of people I didn't know that looked me up uh mm -hmm. found me and uh and that was uh, humbling yeah to say the least was was very very amazing uh people that are very negative in general about skateboarding being in the olympics they're like well at least uh the, the music is good or something you know that kind of or um or people even like uh, the dj should get a medal yeah so i i got a lot of very positive feedback, which is, yeah, very, very cool to get. And it's yeah. and it's great that the music didn't go unnoticed because you know obviously you're not you're not the main part of the show, you're not the primary no. focus, but but it's nice to be acknowledged. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's and um, I mean you've you've told me prior to to us catching up today that there were some criteria for the music which which made the <laughs> the track selection a little bit tricky. Yeah. Yes, definitely something to put out there that uh, uh, there was uh, there had been a request to give a list of music uh, to be approved, and it was supposed to be controlled on uh, obviously cursing, explicit contact content, but as well for um, political uh, standings or. Uh, uh, yeah, general. It has to be as PC as you can get. 
So no and, uh, NWA, no Pussy Riot, none of that. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and and some kind of pulled through. Um, so they weren't they weren't acknowledged, and uh, some were a complete um, randomly uh, taken out because I I can't really see why they were, yeah, why they would be taken out. Uh, could be uh, something like, for instance, Joy Division. There's a track Disorder which I kind of play always because it's mm-hmm. very uh, nice. I. I, the only thing I can come up with is that the track is called Disorder and uh, yeah it doesn't appeal like well, Disorder Chaos hmm. but yeah <laughs> o- o- almost like an algorithmic a- a- application yeah. of censorship just like well we yeah. don't like Disorder here so you're not allowed yeah. to play that yeah but then again uh, suicidal tendencies were all okay so oh right okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, like, in that really, case the whole yeah. thing's a fucking mystery then <laughs> yeah, it's really a mystery yeah 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 all right so i've asked everyone to pick two tracks to put into the pot that sum up the, how they feel about the games and the experience they had what's the first track that you picked uh, yeah so the first track i picked was uh, a track by a band called the big boys and uh, the track is called uh, which way to go Mm-hmm. And it's a yeah, pure skate rock punk uh, song from the early 80s. Uh, the band is not that well known, I think. Um, and uh, and it's absolutely necessary that you start listening to this band because it's, it's party, it's punk, it's, it's awesome. And it's... it's they have a lot of melody, but it also some rage in there. And, um, yeah, that's it. I, I am a friend of mine was inspired by him, by the lead singer of this band to start painting, and he has contact with him, and we had a conversation prior to uh, yeah, just a few days after the competition, the first competition. And the guy reached out to me like, wow, that's so cool. You're playing my music. So, yeah, that's fucking amazing again. Like That's incredible. That is yeah, absolutely is. incredible. Okay, but your next track is a very different song. Yeah, yeah, I spoke to Raekwon and, and Method Man. No. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a track by um, Raekwon. Raekwon and um, uh, Ghostface Killers in there. And I think the whole weekend kind of is in that track. Uh, I'm not sure at this point. But it's called Wood uh, Gambinos. And um, it reminds me of my early days in the skate park. Um, it's a skate park in Amsterdam called the Third Floor. For the old old guys, they've probably been there when they traveled to to Europe uh, back in the days. And it was amazing 
part of the skate. Uh, shout out to Michael Groenewegen and uh, John Durholt and a few other people uh, who made that place. And uh, they are also involved in the Skate Park North, which is now existing in, in Amsterdam. But this place had parties and I was 15 years old and they would play Wu-Tang every day, every hour. And this track was the, the pinnacle yeah just skating in, in the third floor so yeah i had to put it out there and i wasn't able to play it at the olympics unfortunately yeah understandably so but i'm glad you played it here <laughs> yeah thank you all right well, look man I'm, I'm glad we got to catch up properly and I, I know several people have told you already but we're so proud of you for doing us proud out there dude super cool yeah right. won't be the last one Hopefully, Thank you for, hopefully. Uh, for catching up. Super cool. All right, man. We'll, we'll place links to your entire uh, playlists, all, all the Spotify playlists that you played in all the heats. They'll all be in the show notes when this comes out. Awesome. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. See you later, man. Bye-bye. The heart to rip cage the chest and solo plexus, casting stones, cracking 206 bones. And watch your ass get thrown to a sea of fire and brimstone. How dare you approach it with dim poems? The overfing like Nova Bane gleams, shows with a soldier mean. The grand is prison, imperial wizard, or is it the resurrector come to pay your ass a visit? We're now going to speak to the man who played the role of roving reporter. The man with the mic in hand, talking to the athletes, getting swept up in the emotion of the moment. A good friend of mine, Mr. Tim Warwood. So on a scale of one to ten, how knackered are you? How knackered or how stressed? Because uh, I think uh, they could almost be two of the same thing for me. <laughs> I'm not knackered, but I am stressed. Just because of the hustle of, of getting ready. Yeah, I've had pretty bad jet lag this week, actually. So I've, I've been waking up, falling asleep with things in my hands. This, this, I don't remember it. Obviously, probably did it as a kid. But Lucy's woke me up twice, and I've been holding things in my hand. I've been fast asleep, like sitting upright in the chair at night. <laughs> Lucy's loved it, though. It's meant that she's been able to watch Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> so she can watch trash because you're just, like, passed out in a corner. Coma- co- comatosed next to her, yeah. So it's been it's been a hectic two or three weeks for you. Mate, it hasn't stopped, has it? Um 20, I was away for 25 days, which is and, quite a while, isn't it? Yeah, and and doing doing work whilst technically isolating in your accommodation. So you'd not, it's not like you could get out and about and actually see much of Tokyo. No, so, so the way it works is um, everybody that arrives has to quarantine in their room for six days. So you, you're allowed out for 15 minutes walk every day um, and then you have to quarantine in your room. But because of BBC, we only had to do three days and then the, the second three days we could either go from the hotel or to the, to the BBC, their broadcast centre. Then after those six days, you then have eight more days of actual quarantine where you're only allowed your hotel, the BBC or the Olympic event sites. Um, so you could you could go to all the event sites, but um, you couldn't actually go to normal public Tokyo. So you couldn't go downtown to Shibuya Crossing, you know, the famous um, zebra crossings where you see all the millions of people uh, on time lapses and stuff. You couldn't go to places like that. And because you were tested every day, so PCR tests every day, 
You have to have Google Maps open and tracking you. So if you do get stopped, they can see where you've been and what you've been doing. And then every venue that you go into, you got temperature checked and literally like run through sheep dip and stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was all very COVID secure. Um, so yeah, I did two weeks of that. And then after two weeks, that was then we were right in the middle of the actual Olympics. So I was just so flat out with work. Um, worked every single day, which was which was fine. Um, uh, I didn't get to, I didn't get a chance to see anything anyway, so I didn't get a chance to go around Tokyo or really have a look around. I got to see a lot from the taxi as I was driving around. And... Well, I feel sorry for you, you know, having to just focus on the, the most amazing <laughs> sporting event in you know in our lifetime. Um, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's. I'm sorry you had to settle. That is true. That is true. And you know what? When people say, oh, was it the quarantine bad? And when I, when I talk it through like that, it I don't know if it sounds bad, but it, it wasn't bad because you're absolutely right. Okay, I wasn't going sightseeing around Tokyo, but I wasn't there to sightsee anyway. I was there to work, but my work was going to these amazing events. So it did, it wasn't a chore in any way, shape or form. In fact, I, I absolutely loved it. It was such a brilliant, brilliant experience. Loved and- it. And you got seconded into covering sports that you you weren't originally there to do. Yeah. Well, so on paper, I was down for skate surf, BMX and climbing. Um, I ended up doing skate surf, BMX, climbing, women's hockey, weightlifting, <laughs> boxing and a bit of judo. So, uh, yeah, I ended up, to, you know, just going to these sports. And, yeah, it was amazing. Just to, I think, elite sport. At any level, well, not any level, elite sport of any discipline is just so brilliant to watch. When you watch people that are the best at what they do, it's just mind blown, isn't it? The speed and the precision and the energy and just whatever you watch it. Like, I absolutely loved the women's hockey. I've never seen a game so fast in my whole life. And I've been to like England international football games. The yeah, way they know, run around you... and whack that ball. But you know what? What what came across was just the uh, the sort of unbridled enthusiasm that was coming out of you because you were surprised at how much you enjoyed it and you really got sucked in. And I think one of the things that was really enjoyable to see in all of the coverage you did, action sports and otherwise, was how invested you became. And I mean, there were certain points when you were probably more invested. Now, I, I speculate... So, so first off, I'll tell I'll I'll tell you this. Um, I think I told you on text actually, but uh, and I mentioned it to Ed earlier in the episode. But I did the classic sort of sports fan thing of ignoring all news outlets and all social media so that I could experience the the women's part final as if it was live on the on the morning. Good. So job. I get up early, got myself tea, bit of breakfast, and I'm and I'm, the footage is rolling. Sky Brown is about to drop in. Sarah comes down. I was like, oh, you're just in time for Sky Brown's run. And she goes, oh, yeah, she got bronze, didn't she? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, I remember you telling me. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but I still, I, still, I still experienced it more or less live for me. I was still really, really invested. And I got really emotional. And I could see how much it affected you and i'm speculating that sky brown is a fraction older than your eldest kid right yeah yeah so yeah. year so and a half older that's it so from a parental point of view 
you know, you're, and because you've got this uh, sort of passion for skateboarding anyway, there's so much there. And you, you almost couldn't talk when they cut to you from the studio. I, I, I couldn't. There's no almost about it. Are you right? I couldn't talk. It was, you've hit the nail exactly on the head. The, the only bit you've missed out. I didn't know Sky. I knew of Sky, you know, obviously for years and, and seeing her on social media and seeing the meteoric rise that she's been through. And you see all the clips and you make your judgments and you think, oh, she's cool and she's sweet and she's this and she's that, blah, blah, blah. And undoubtedly an incredible skateboarder. She absolutely rips. So you've got all these preconceived ideas. And then two days before the event, I got to interview her and I met up with um, Darren Piercy, the, the GB team manager, skate team manager, and her dad, Stuart. And I was kind of just feeling it out. You know, they were lovely, really nice guys. And then got to meet Sky, and, and she was there. And I said, oh, how you doing? And what's cracking and all this? And then straight away, it was it was like, right, I've got to talk to her on the same level I talk to my daughter as. You know, that's how I've got to speak to her. And so you're right. Emotionally, straight away, I was a bit like, wow, she's she's young, but she's really cool. She's very, very good at skateboarding, but she's a bit like my daughter. And so I just became... I guess emotionally invested in it and and you're absolutely right and so I felt I had this connection with her and she was really rad really good interviewer dad is lovely you know with that we're only supposed to get you know 15 20 minutes but we chatted for about an hour and we all hung out and it was really cool and she was asking me about snowboarding she's like oh, I want to get into snowboarding more and she thought you know and it was all this and it was dead good so yeah day of the contest when she went to drop in I was a bit like whoa this is a bit heavier than I thought it would be, right? And then the other thing, because it was COVID and because all that was in place, the organisers, the Olympic people, whoever, had set up these huge TV screens with cameras on Zoom so the athletes could Zoom their family. Oh, God, it's making me go now talking about it. So they could, so they could, they could talk over Zoom. And I, where I was standing in my little mix pen, when the athletes had done their run, they'd come up. The first thing they do, they get jostled up to the up to the Zoom box. They've got the, all their family in whatever country, wherever they are in the world. And they're like, hey, hi, mom, how are you doing? Did you see that? Oh, my God. And you've got the moms and dads on the screen waving. And this is all while you're waiting for the scores to come in. And so I'm looking across and I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know how that would feel if that was me. You know, mm. being 50, you know, there's 15-year-old girls, there's 14-year-old girls, there's Sky Brown at 30. You know, all these young kids that seen their moms and dads because the moms and dads can't travel with them and just thinking I got it got too much and so of course when Sky won or won a bronze she went up to the screen she's got a mom and a brother she talks about a mom and a brother a lot you know she's very and I could see her and then she started to cry and I looked across and, I, and I'd gone at this point I was a bit like oh my god it means so much to her and I couldn't believe how much it must oh and it was just too much yeah and it was it was and I just think the whole day and I had Ed and Mark plumbed into my ears so I was actually getting fed back the commentary from Manchester back to Tokyo into my ears so I could hear how invested they were and I was invested and actually for that event there was a crowd the stands were supposed to be empty but there was definite like loads of people who just used their accreditation to come and watch the skateboarding you know so it was it was everything it was an absolute lethal cocktail of everything just whipped up to this perfect storm and it and it was just it was i'd say one of the best events i've ever i mean i've worked in events my whole life 
but it's probably one of the best events I've ever been a part of or, or been to or witnessed. The the level of skateboarding was rad, the you know, the everything. And in fact, in many ways, it, it was very similar to when Jenny Jones won a bronze medal in her, in snowboarding. Well, you I was going to say, because at the time... You were in the commentary booth for that, and you copped a little bit of criticism for being emotionally invested. But in this instance, it was such a genuine, authentic enthusiasm that kind of came across. It it kind of feels like there should be a little bit more of that in sport. Mm. They should allow room for people to be invested because... It, it kind of conveys the joy. Yeah. Well, certainly that these sports can give you. You know, these, these we're so fortunate to be a part of these sports and to be a part of... And Churchill said it brilliantly in when he was in the studio with um, Jason Mohammed, and he said that this isn't, this isn't skateboarding at the Olympics. This isn't an Olympic version of skateboarding. This is just skateboarding as it normally is being shown on on the olympic stage and it, it it's just what it is you know you go back to like the old skateboard contests that i used to watch on 411 magazine at radlands back in the day and you'd see kids just going mental like when tom penny kick flipped the box in the middle and then just all the those like seminal moments of of skateboard history and and not just skateboarding whether it's snowboarding bmx any of the free sports the the action sports so to speak they're just they i find it quite hard to put into words but it it is a it it's the simple fact that it's a it's a feeling isn't it it's an emotion they're emotive sports that that just do something to you and it does something to everybody there everybody watching you're just invested and um you're absolutely right. Perhaps that's been lost from other sports because it, other sports are a joy. I'm not saying that they're not, you know. Um, maybe not archery. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, like, if you think about, like, you think about a football match and you've got two tribes basically rooting for their, their, you know, their respective teams and there's a constant build-up of anticipation and if they're lucky, they get the release of a goal. Mm. Whereas with an action sport at, a, at an event, there's not really a combative us against them kind of mentality. So if anyone lands that trick, the anticipation of them achieving that thing, you know, especially if you've seen them go for a couple of tries and when they actually get it, because everyone's invested, the whole place erupts. And yeah. I've, I've said earlier in the episode that um, one of the, one of the great things to to communicate to people around the world is how mutually supportive it is. Mm. And that was so, on display in every event, wasn't it? That's yeah. the other thing. Every event, just the camaraderie on the on the on the deck of the of the ramps was incredible. So, yeah, really good. So, mate. we've uh, I asked I've asked each of you to come up with two tracks to sum up how you feel about the games and the experience. So, what's your first track? I'm going to go with the track that was playing when Sky Brown dropped in for that third and final run. And it was a track which, obviously, the anticipation was insane at this point anyway. The, the tension and the pressure that Sky Brown at 13 must have been under to, to 
put down this third run. She'd fallen twice. She needed to land this run. The pressure was insane. I could hear Ed and Mark in the commentary booth and it was all going off. And then this song came on. Now, I did mean to find this out and I'm pretty sure it's true, but I believe the riders pick their own songs. So okay. they skate to their, I think they skate to their own tracks. I'm 91% sure of that. But let's just go with that because it makes the story way, way better. Anyway, <laughs> basically, Sky Brown drops in to this tune and I, I've loved this tune and I thought, for a moment I had a bit of an out of body experience where I just thought how how has a 13 year old girl picked this song to skate to how is she just like if she wasn't cool enough she's gone and nailed it and then she obviously nailed a run and now this song which before used to mean a lot to me snowboarding wise because um, I actually used it in a snowboard video a few years ago but um, it, now it's forever going to remind me of Sky Brown ripping around the bowl in Tokyo so this is this is Big Mouth Strikes Again by The Smiths. All right, so moving on from The Smiths, what's your second track? Okay. Do you want the name or do you want me to give you what it's about? I never know quite know how to do this. Do I build the suspense or do I build the tension? What is it, what's it about? Right, so this track is from... Uh, they're like an electric electronic rock band, basically, called Django Django. And we, we, we had to drive every day between the hotel and the venue. And on that first morning when I was released, I'd been in quarantine for three days, hadn't seen any of Tokyo. I got in the car and we out we went and I had my headphones on pop this on and this wasn't the first track that came on or anything like that but as I was going along I jogged through and I put this track on and it's a bit like I don't know if you've seen Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift where they're on no don't worry it's not it's not a song from that soundtrack but um it's uh all these overpasses and they have a lot of there's a lot of like overpasses in Tokyo, big high roads up on stilts, and you, you're driving along looking through apartment windows, and then you'll duck down and come around, you're at the tops of trees, and then it's kind of, it's like a racetrack, and uh, this song came on, and I had it up really loud in my ears, and I just thought, this is mad. I'm in Tokyo for the Olympics, and I can't quite believe I'm on the other side of the world. And it had rained, actually, so this was the first nice, nice day, so the sun was shining, and just driving in the car with this tune pumping in my ears um, on these crazy roads in these little like wagons with neon lights and uh, these little like minivan taxi things that we had driving us around. And I just felt like really, I felt really like I was on the other side of the world living the Tokyo dream and being a part of the Olympics. And I just was a bit like, this is mad to be here. So then, I didn't listen to it every day. But then the next couple of days, I put it on, and I'd put it on as I'm walking into the venue. And actually, for the final week, it then became my kind of morning anthem. I'd put it on, and it's just a really wicked, anthemic kind of... And it just goes, and the song builds, and it's just got these crazy lyrics. And, um, yeah, it just became my Olympic anthem. So this is a track that now... I will always listen to and it'll just remind me of Tokyo and it'll remind me of walking into those venues every day and having my temperature checked and being on the overpasses and driving in the little minivans and uh, living the Tokyo dream for three weeks. So this is? This is 
Default by Django Django. Thanks for coming on, man. No worries, dude. Did I waffle too much? Nah, you're fine. So we're now going to talk to the person who made up the other half of the commentary team for the BBC. He played the part of resident expert as he's a respected skateboarder in his own right. And he very generously took some time to talk to me while he was on holiday in the Southwest. This is Mr. Mark Churchill. Well, how are you doing, mate? Good, thank you. Yeah, really good. How are you? I'm all right. I was trapped under a wardrobe about five minutes before we jumped on this call. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an eventful evening. Um, it's, yeah, it's all good. Um, it's a long story. And now I guess you know what's under Narnia. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're getting a new carpet put in tomorrow morning. So we've, we've had to, like, comedically move very very large furniture out of a room in a vi- onto a very narrow hallway and in moving it i trapped myself in my office which was lots of fun that sounds great yeah, self-imprisonment well yeah on a friday night what better way to do it um so obviously i spoke to ed earlier and i'm re- i'll be repeating myself for the listener but i just wanted to say like you guys did an amazing job with the commentary for the skateboarding. Oh, thank you so much. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, it's really nice to hear it. There's been so many people sending great feedback and, yeah, I'm over the moon that everybody enjoyed it. I mean, it was really important to get it right and to get it across in the right way, um, but not go too over the top. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we did a, a good job. No, I was really, really impressed because... You didn't dumb it down too much for the layman, but you were really encouraging and supportive to sort of bring people along and kind of explain elements of it so that they feel that they could enjoy it uh, and and, st- and try to understand what it was they were watching. Because I I, I, don't, I think it's such a spectacle, particularly the park. It's I, I don't think they need to know the the finer points because it's it's such a show but uh but yeah i thought you guys did an amazing job thank you very much yeah i mean myself and ed had a a conversation prior to it and we said you know we could go into the creations of the ollie and how you do it and all these sort of explanations but it's been done so many times before luckily we've got this huge internet resource available for people to learn what things are at the same time as watching so you know, I, I think we felt that people are able to work things out on their own and that we'd better just talk about the most amazing thing that's going on and what people were doing. And, you know, that's, you know, we hardly had any time. I mean, especially in the park, it was trick, 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 trick. There was no, like, breathing room. And a couple of times I got a bit dizzy because I was like, I need to breathe. Yeah, it was very, very fast-paced. Um, and you did very well to keep up with it all um yeah and you know yeah i, I mean it, like yeah it was tough i mean like i, I traditionally you know i've, I've emceed and, and commentated on a lot of competitions and there are little bits of breathing room there are bits where people fall off but when you're 
you know, commentating skateboarding at this level, there's no room to fall off. There's no room for people to make mistakes. And, you know, like you could see that from the top guys. It was just nuts. It was just unbelievable that we were saying the words that we were saying in competition runs. Usually that's like a best trick compare kind of thing. You'd see certain tricks done in best trick, but this stuff was being done in people's runs in like heat one. It's nuts. It was crazy. Uh, and it really entertaining. It really was. Um, you know, you co you copped a bit of unwarranted flat from Australian viewers, but we got to the bottom of that. They were tapped into the wrong feed and just put two and two together and <laughs> yeah. came up with five. Um, yeah, I, I had actually... friends messaging me from Australia and they were like, I'm pretty sure this isn't you. And I was like, it's definitely not me. But yeah, there was a different set of broadcasters coming out. And um, depending on whether you had a VPN or what what kind of feed you were tapped into yeah there was there was two lots and uh yeah me and ed were worried for a bit but we worked out it wasn't us <laughs> luckily yeah, well i i actually contacted a guy who posted on behalf of slam uh, skate magazine which is uh, like a like an aussie skate mag and I, I messaged the guy who wrote the article because they mentioned the unsatisfactory commentary from a couple of pommies and I was like, can I just ask, what exactly was it that was wrong with the commentary? Because what we were listening to was really well done. Uh, and, you know, bo both commentators are really well respected in, in the UK scene. And then he explained it and he actually sent me a link to the footage that he had seen. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's definitely not them. Um, it was and it was embarrassing. And they were they were right to be frustrated, but they just got the the idea of the commentators wrong yeah i got tagged in uh, a load of different things on instagram and i was just like whoa yeah that's definitely not us and luckily yeah. i mean like all the the brits and a few american guys that i know and even a few aussie guys that i know like tagged me and said nah this ain't they, these guys this not <laughs> so don't worry but it was quite funny listening to it i mean i don't want to talk bad about people but um, yeah, they didn't really know what was what, so but it was quite entertaining to listen to. Yeah, it was quite. It was. It was just confusing. Just trying to work out exactly what was going on, and then there was this sort of epiphany moment where you're like, "Oh, right, okay, yeah, they've got this completely backwards." Now it's it's an amazing spectacle to see skateboarding put on a world stage like that. So obviously I've, I've, I've approached a handful of people that have been in, involved in the games in some way or, or another to ask them what two tracks they would pick to sum up how they feel about how things went and, and how, how the experience was. So what was the first track that you picked? Uh, my first track that kind of sums it all up is All My Love, Lev Zeppelin. Um, because it is my love. It's my first and only love, um, skateboarding. I owe everything to skateboarding and not only my love for it, but the love that other people were giving skateboarding plus the love that everybody was giving each other out there. It just kind of sums it up. It just puts everything in, I don't know, context for me. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's quite powerful. And um, I just really was just i don't know i was in awe and and to be going in the studio and speaking to a lot of the people behind scenes like producers and cameramen and stuff like that they were all blown away by the love that was shown and how 
people were hugging each other even though that person had just knocked them out of the competition and they were just like the love that skateboarders have for other skateboarders and for everyone there is incredible and i just you know the minute you asked me i was like that just pinged straight into my head i was like yeah that'll do it Okay, moving on from Led Zeppelin, what's your second choice? So, Abracadabra, uh, Steve Miller Band. It was, you know, it's magical. Obviously, Abracadabra is a magical word um, and things like that. But, you know, uh, the, the words just got me, you know. I heat up, I can't cool down. You got me spinning around and round, like, or my head is spinning round and round. That kind of thing, like... That kind of, I don't know, it seems cheesy as hell, but it kind of, the heat, the magic of the moment and the spinning and just everything, it just, I don't know. It's a cool track and it just kind of resonated a little bit with me. So just for that kind of, especially finals, men's finals, um, it was about 42 degrees, which is just nuts. Um, and to, to skate in that kind of heat is I don't know, you've got to be pretty bionic, I think, to be able to get away with that. And uh, yeah, and everyone still threw it down. So yeah, it was magical. So abracadabra, it fits, it fits the bill. Amazing. Thank you so much for jumping on. When you're th- And also, thank you for taking 10 minutes out of your holiday to, to jump on as well. But would you be up for coming back and doing a, a full 10-track episode? 100%, yeah. Let's do it. And it's my pleasure to come on. Thank you for asking me. Stokes, you know? <laughs> anything to get people buzzing about skateboarding and talking about it it's the best thing on the earth all right man well look enjoy the rest of your holiday and i'll talk to you when you get back So now we're going to talk to the Skateboard GB team manager, Darren Piercy. And this is the person that I wanted to get on this episode the most. So if it meant that the episode came out slightly later than normal, then so be it. Because I think if I put this episode out without including him, I would probably regret it. So this is Mr. Darren Piercy. How are we doing? No, I'm good, mate. I'm really good. Just uh, trying to recover from the craziness of going to the Olympic Games, which, uh, as we touched on just before we started, is a sentence that I didn't really think I'd ever say in my life up to a couple of years ago. It's, it is, I mean, even knowing, even knowing that it's a truth, it's reality, it's happened, it, it you know, it's, it's a fact. It's, it's, it's strange to hear it said out loud still because coming from where we started as kids skateboarding you know we're, we're we're a similar age we've probably been skating since what mid 90s i'd say yeah, yeah. We, we never thought in a million years we'd be sat here talking about skateboarding in the olympics period yet alone someone from the you know representing the uk meddling no, not all. I mean, like, even five years ago, like, I would have laughed if somebody had said to me, you're going to be the first ever skateboard GBT manager. I mean, that in itself, the first ever thing is like, you know, to me, it's not, you know, it's not a big deal personally, but like, in history, 
that is now a part of history of not just skateboarding, but of the Olympics as well, which again is just something that's kind of mind blowing when you like, you know, you scale back a little and you look at it from outside. It, it's so strange and surreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, who'd have thought it? when we were younger or growing up, when you were learning how to ollie over a yogurt pot. Like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be going to the Olympics when I'm older. Um, and I remember my parents, especially with my dad, like, he actually said to me once, he's like, where do you, like a lot of skaters in that generation, like, where, what do you expect to get out of this? Where, where do you think it'll end up? And then, you know, he's sending me text messages congratulating me on going to the Olympics last week. And it, it's just all very surreal. <laughs> very bizarre. And um, I mean, like I, I messaged you when when the position was announced, because there was maybe a little bit of chat about it at the time as it was sort of building up towards it, but I hadn't given it a, a whole heap of thought. But when, but when it was announced, I messaged you at the time saying I actually can't think of a better person for it because you you're so passionate about skateboarding. Yeah, I mean, like. I care about skating a lot and like, you know, it's fantastic that Sky's done well and, you know, people have won medals and everything. But ultimately, for me, the best thing about the Olympics was the fact that skateboarding got to be skateboarding and the camaraderie and the kind of culture and the values and beliefs of skateboarding kind of shone through um, for all the viewers that were watching. So that was probably the most special thing to me on a personal level. Um, uh, as well as obviously just having the opportunity to support the girls uh, Sky and Bombat while we were there. Um, but yeah, just as far as the job go, went and getting the job, I, I, when I went for it, I never, I guess like a lot of people who go for jobs, I never really expected to get it. There was a lot of other candidates with a lot more experience than myself who had been in the skateboard community a lot longer or, and, and done significant kind of jobs in the industry. And when I went for it, I was like, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was thought, you know, I'll give it a go. And, you know, I remember getting the call that I'd got the job and I was just like blown away. I just couldn't believe it. So, um, yeah, a couple of years later with a, a lot more experiences on my shoulders, a lot of learning. And I'm just so grateful that I did get the job and what I've now learned from, from doing it so far. That's amazing. So, I mean, do you, are there, were there any sort of obstacles or uphill battles that you've faced the first time round that you you think you're going to meet with less resistance going towards the next Olympics? Oh, definitely. I think just the learning experience of having it one behind, like one behind you now, or you've done once whole cycle. So even not just the actual Olympics itself, like the Tokyo for the two weeks, I've just left under two weeks were there, but that whole two years and then, you know, we had the COVID break and whatever, like so much has been learned and like so much like knowledge has been taken on board that when we start working towards Paris, like there's going to be a lot of work to do behind the scenes to get that moving. But when we actually start trying to qualify again and we're back on the road at events, I'll just feel a lot more sure of myself personally because I've had that experience. So I'll, I'll know what to expect a little bit more um, than I did this time around. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll, it'll provide myself with a lot of reassurance and also provide whoever's on the team with more of reassurance next time around, you know, there'll be potentially might be new people coming in who weren't part of it the first time around and they're going to really benefit from from having people that have been through it once already. Do you know what I mean? And, and being able to like prepare for the bumps in the road that come along. Amazing. Okay, so I asked everyone that's come on this episode to pick two tracks to that's either sum up how they feel or that have a connection to the the whole experience about 
skateboarding at the Olympics. So what two tracks have you picked? Now, you, no, and it's also, these will be completely surprising to me because everyone else has sort of sent me their picks ahead of the conversation so I can kind of gain, mm. you know, sort of form an opinion. But I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this blind. So which, what two tracks have you picked? <laughs> so these two tracks are not what I would pick if I was going to answer the question of what sums up the Olympics. Um, not all, they don't reflect my musical tastes or anything like that. But these two tracks were two tracks that were quite prominently played when we were in our apartment in the Olympic Village. And there was a whole host of tracks that were played every day. And as you can imagine, ultimately, like our crew uh, while we were there is Sky, who's 13, Bombette's 15, and then their two dads, and then myself. Uh, I have a four-year-old daughter, nearly. She's nearly four. Uh, so my music taste is quite uh, widespread in a sense at the minute. I'm not going to lie, we had some uh, good dance dance-offs to Frozen's Let It Go while we were there, as well as some other things. I mean, we're, uh, we're quite far away from maybe like things like Firehose and Minutemen at the minute with the, with the kill <laughs> of the teams we've got. So uh, the two tracks I picked were really based off the fact that I think that now these two tracks will forever remind me of a time in Tokyo or things we were doing. And <laughs> I think if I ever hear them again, whenever I hear them now going forward, they'll always bring me back to Tokyo. And I think, like you say, music is great for that anyway, isn't it? It's like one of the one of the best things about it is it's like, you know, the memories that can be kind of pulled from and whatnot just through it. So um, my first track is Wake Up Boo by the Boo Radleys. And my second track is Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Um, so like I said, not something I would standardly pick, but yeah, they're my choices. <laughs> well, Wake Up Boo by the Boo Radleys is a very upbeat optimistic kind of indie classic it would make a good section yeah. song i think actually if it's not been used yeah. already uh, i'm not familiar mm. with the second track though yeah so wake up boo is basically in the morning like our my alarm and the dad's alarms were going off at this basically 4 15 every morning so it's 4 15 a.m up right rally the troops everyone's having the shower getting ready trying to eat some breakfast doing their covid tests running around and it's like right we got an hour for everybody to get ready go and we've got to get on the bus and get to the skate park so those mornings obviously just were kind of crazy but kind of special because we get up put some music on and try and get everyone moving and wake up boo is just obviously a standard one that does that and it just ended up something we played most mornings when we were getting up ready to go out and i think that you know, when you wake up at that time and you've had a busy day already, you can't help but smile when it comes on. And it does give you a bit of a kickstart, uh, for sure. So um, a lot of happy memories are gonna be like based in that song going forward. And Olivia Rodrigo, again, is somebody that I wouldn't, it's not really my generation, it's not really my time frame, um, but she released a song called Good For You a little while back, and uh, I first really started hearing it when I went out to skate stay with Sky, um, uh, back in uh, back in May, June time, and uh, she was just like doing TikToks and other things, just I kept hearing this song coming from her phone all the time, to the point where it was just complete earworm, and I'm like, 
remember going home and I'm being like, what's that song? And I was like Googling it and everything. Cause like, I literally didn't know the name of the artist or anything because, you know, just not, not my time frame, like I said. Googled it and then like, it just became more and more of an earworm. And then when we got to Tokyo, it just ended up on the playlist. And like I said, we had a few good evenings where we were just dancing around and like the girls would pick stuff and whatnot. And that one just really sums up. I mean, it's a big connection to Sky, but ultimately just for Sky and Bombette, like just the memories of them dancing around to that song in the apartment. They're just, it's just something that's always going to stay with me. All right, well, look, Darren, thank you so much for finding the time to to jump on. I didn't, I, I almost put this episode out on Monday just out of, out of a matter of routine, but I, was, I would much rather delay it by a couple of days and have you on board than put it out and wish that I'd I'd, I'd got you, got hold of you. So uh, I'm I'm really stoked that you uh, you came on, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Wicked. You get to come back and do a full episode. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's do it. Like I'm I'm keen to talk a little bit more about skateboarding and stuff and you know, maybe uh, present some of my own musical tastes as well. <laughs> well there you go. There you go. So that concludes this week's episode, and I'm pretty happy with how it's turned out, even though it took a lot longer to put together than normal. And on that, I guess it's just been a matter of bandwidth. I've been trying to do far too much. My day job's been ramping up as the world's been returning to some form of normality. And with that, comedy gigs have started happening again. So I'm having to fit in this extracurricular activity in the evening that detracts from the spare time that I would have to edit and record and put episodes together. And uh, I, I guess you would call it some form of burnout that I've been experiencing. Uh, oh, and my, my son started school as well. That's a thing. Um, so yeah, maybe I've been a bit overwhelmed and I just needed to put this thing down for a couple of weeks so I could kind of collect myself and figure out how to fit it all in. But don't worry, Mixtapes with Mike is not going anywhere. And as always, the music discussed has been played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. So if you'd like to listen to this week's Mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. But for now, I will see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) 